Welcome to Merrick's Experts, the podcast that provides analysis of current affairs in China. Welcome to the Merricks podcast. I am Claudia Wessling, Director of Communications and Publications at Merricks, and I'm delighted to have our analyst Roderick Kefferputz with me today. Hi, Roderick. Hi, Claudia. Good to be here. Welcome to the show. Our topic today is China's subnational diplomacy. China and European countries are entertaining relations with each other, not only at the state level. During past decades, a close network of partnerships between Chinese provinces, European regions or federal states, and also cities and municipalities has emerged. On subnational channels, there are a lot of oftentimes mutually beneficial exchanges in business and politics, but also at the level of civil society. Under state and party leader Xi Jinping, however, China's approach to subnational exchanges has changed. One could say that it has not become easier for a federally organized country like Germany, but also other European regions to deal with actors from China who are following strategies prescribed by a centralized party state and the Communist Party of China. Roderick Kefferpitz has been studying China's subnational diplomacy in Germany and Europe in detail in his research at Merix over the past months. He has just published the results of his research in a study titled Big Fish in Small Ponds, China's Subnational Diplomacy in Europe. Roderick, looking at the big fish in small ponds, relations with China, one might think, is a matter for foreign ministries and foreign policy institutions on a state level. But federal states, regions and municipalities are also active in that sphere. What are, to your mind, goals and benefits of such relations at the subnational level? Yes, that's a common misunderstanding, of course, that uh, it's only the federal governments, you know, the capital cities that are doing foreign policy. I mean, of course, cities and regional governments also conduct foreign policy in a, in a certain manner. They, they go on delegation travels, they sign international agreements, they, you know, establish partnerships and have offices, liaison offices in different provinces and countries. And of course, China you know, you were saying uh, big fish in small ponds, and that fish has been getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And China is, of course, of particular interest. You know, it has a huge economic market. Uh, Chinese investments are, of course, of great interest, but also Chinese tourism, cooperation on research and development, cultural exchanges. So, you know, for subnational actors such as cities and regions, the, China is a very important, interesting actor. Definitely a partner with a lot of appeal. Also, when looking at the flourishing economy in China, COVID has changed that a little bit, but still compared to other regions of the world, China is definitely a super attractive market. And one should not forget about the people-to-people -people contacts that are just often happening on the subnational level, something I remember from my time when I was young and started to study Chinese. The first contacts to Chinese counterparts were established via communal, I don't know, meetings or delegation visits. So this is definitely something very important. What about China, Roderick? Why is China interested in establishing contacts on a subnational level? What are their aims and goals? Well, they, of course, have similar motives, you know, to begin with. They are also interested to, to deepen economic relations. They are interested to gain technological know-how and, you know, European technologies. But 
I think what differentiates China's subnational diplomacy and China's interests to European interests is that China has been pursuing much more an ambitious political agenda as well. China has been aiming to use the subnational level to increase its political influence, to defend political interests, core interests, interests that are also important for the Chinese Communist Party, such as Taiwan, Hong Kong, Xinjiang. And of course, China has also been using the subnational level to advance its soft power. So to advance its kind of narratives, its kind of messages, its kind of worldview. And I think this is one of the key differences between European subnational actors' interests and China's interests, which is that European cities and regions, they pursue their local interests. But their Chinese counterparts will also be pursuing the state interests, geopolitical interests. And um, this, of course, creates a sort of asymmetry between both actors, a sort of interests divergence or sort of mismatch in interests. And I think there is a Chinese uh, saying or proverb that sums up that situation quite well, which is we're lying in the same bed, but we're dreaming different dreams. So Europe is dreaming of its local interests and China is dreaming of great power interests. How should local actors deal with this kind of challenge, having a Chinese counterparts who come with clear strategic interests, whereas oneself probably only thinks about, okay, how can I help my local economy to advance and uh, prosper? This is really difficult. And this is an issue that a lot of European regions and cities are facing with and don't know quite yet how to handle, because this change in Chinese subnational diplomacy has really taken off with the coming to power of Xi Jinping in 2012, 2013. So you can really see that since then, Chinese subnational diplomacy has been much more forceful, much more direct and great power interest led than it was before. And I think you can see that there are a couple of places, a couple of cities that are trying to figure out how do we deal with this new situation. So interestingly enough, you can, for example, see in Sweden and in the Netherlands, a couple of cities that have decided we no longer want to have a sister city partnership because of China's human rights record, for example. The city of Gothenburg has decided to no longer prolong its sister city agreement. The city of Arnhem in the Netherlands has decided to cancel its sister city agreement. Prague in the Czech Republic has been also an example where um, the city has said, we want to take a different position on Taiwan. We want to intensify our relations with Taiwan. And because of that, it has had repercussions on its sister city relationship with China, with Beijing. The cities, of course, continue with business as usual, and they are fully aware that there are difficulties, but just unsure how to deal with this situation. Yeah, there's certainly big differences across Europe also. I mean, you, you just mentioned a couple of examples from European countries. Um, in Germany, I, I would assume the situation is a bit different. We also hear that German cities get a lot of requests from the Chinese side to establish cities, sister relations. And I mean, delegation visit at in COVID times is maybe not the main issue here. But well, you, you did a survey yourself. Um, how, how do people see relations to China 
Chinese actors on the submission levels over here. And that's maybe also an interesting point. To what extent do like German municipalities talk to European counterparts about their experiences? Is there a lot of exchange happening? Let me maybe start with the first point that you made, that there are, of course, also a lot of requests from Chinese to create sister city relations and um, regional partnerships. I think one of the interesting points is exactly that this hasn't stopped during COVID times. I mean, I remember in one German federal state that received a number of requests from Chinese provinces to establish a regional partnership. And in their request, they said, look, we are a big producer of medical masks. We can help you fight the pandemic. Let's create a regional partnership. So, you know, COVID has had another effect where Chinese actors have been using the pandemic to a certain extent to try to create even more subnational ties, also with the mass diplomacy that they went to several cities and, you know, distributed mass, which we were very grateful for. That was very, very important. But at the same time, when such actions are connected to, please, let's make a publicity event out of them, then you ask yourself a little bit, what's really going on here? And this is the point that I would come back to that you mentioned, which is that the federal states and the cities, each one of them operates very independently and has separate relations with their Chinese counterparts. And the problem is a lot of the times that they do not coordinate with each other. They don't even know what the other partner or the other, what the federal level or what the state level might be doing, let alone the European level. So there really isn't a discussion between all of these actors. And that makes it so difficult in the subnational relations with China because there is such an asymmetry. China, very centrally organized, centralized subnational diplomacy. And here in Europe, it's very decentralized with each actor you know, operating independently um, on their own. We had a workshop with the European Council on Foreign Relations where we invited city representatives and regional government representatives from all over Europe. And you could really see how much interest there was in exchanging on this issue of China with their counterparts in other European governments and regions. And I think this is definitely something that we need to improve on. The example of the mask diplomacy also highlights it. This is definitely a coordinated approach from the Chinese side, bringing masks to different regions. It was a charitable thing to help people, which is very good. But on the other hand, as you said, it was also an effort to kind of shape the narrative on China and make for a positive narrative in those different regions. The European side, then again, everyone was left alone on his or her own devices in dealing with this Chinese move. So there is definitely need for communication here and make for more coordination. What other capabilities, Roderick, do you think European actors need to develop to be able to deal with this very strong, very strategically thinking China? I think this is exactly the point that you mentioned, Claudia, which is that a lot of European regions and cities are actually facing the same challenges. So on mass diplomacy, for example, and everybody reacted differently. Some cities and some regions said, no, please, no photo ops as you're handing on us a mask that we're very grateful for. And other cities, yeah, sure, let's, let's do photo ops. But there are other cases as well. For example, when the Chinese consul general will tell a city to no longer invite Taiwan to diplomatic events, 
or when they ask regional governments and cities to please stop China critical protests, such as from the Falun Gong or from uh, Tibet. These are the kind of examples that are happening all over Europe in different places. And uh, I think what we can do is we can learn from each other and find best practices on how to deal with this. A couple of recommendations that I think might be really useful in this context is, for example, we need to first of all know what is the extent of our subnational relations with China. We don't actually know how many city partnerships there are, regional partnerships, what kind of relationships there are, because of course, as each actor is acting independently, there is nobody who really has a big overview of the entire picture. You know, to give you an example, the government of Scotland has asked each of its cities to report what, to what extent they are having relations with China. Something like this is kind of mapping. This would be very useful. The Dutch government has asked its cities association to do a mapping of the state of subnational relations with China. That would be really useful. We could do this perhaps on the European level as well, asking the European cities and regions association to do such a mapping. In the Netherlands, for example, as well, they have established a China knowledge network. It's a kind of competence center where there are China experts, and these China experts support the local government authorities and regional government authorities in their dealings with China. So if a Chinese requests come, then they can evaluate it and they can tell them, look, this is a serious request. You should treat it seriously. You should do ABC. Or no, this is not a serious request. This is not in your interest. You shouldn't pursue this. These are some of the recommendations that I think could be useful also for other countries. Maybe another example would be the city of Hamburg. The city of Hamburg has agreed that if there is a Chinese request, the city will look at it. Every ministry will look at it. They will discuss it together, and then they will give a common answer to their Chinese counterpart. Because oftentimes what happens is that China will send a request to every ministry of a regional government and then see what kind of response it gets. And then it will pick out the response that's most favorable to China. It's a kind of divide and conquer strategy. And Hamburg has decided, look, this is not in our favor. So what we will do is when a request comes, we will look at it all together and we'll give them one single unified answer. That also is a best practice that I think other cities and regional governments could benefit from. And I think there are a lot out there in Europe, we just need to start collecting them and bringing all these actors together. So one of the recommendations that I'm actually making my report is that the European Committee of the Regions should discuss the issue of subnational diplomacy with China more actively. So far, they haven't done so. So there's really a lot that could be done, actually. First of all, finding out what is happening at all in terms of China-Europe subnational relations then where does China knowledge sit and how can we spread it throughout all the actors working on China-related issues? And then the question of developing strategies to deal with delegations on the ground. Roderick, already in Germany, this is pretty challenging. How would it happen concretely to bring actors together? I think there are different ways that we need to deal with this. First of all, of course, this is not just all on the burden of the European institutions. Right. I mean, the European institutions can only do so much. The Committee of the Regions would be a very important forum to bring together regional governments to discuss this. But then regional governments, of course, would have a responsibility to talk to their cities and discuss this. And the federal governments would have responsibility to talk 
to their uh, regions and cities. So, you know, there's different layers of responsibility and we just need to make sure that these layers come together and that it's also kind of trickles down. I think a lot of the times it's also providing the knowledge, like we mentioned, and there can also be different forms for that. For example, the European Association of Cities and uh, Regions, national city associations can also play a role in making sure that they disseminate this kind of knowledge. One other point that I would like to make, which I think is really important, that we also need to strengthen China competence in local and regional government. I did a survey amongst German representatives of the German federal states. And um, in that survey, one of the results was that 50% had a training on China. Now, that's great. But what about the other 50%? Shouldn't they also have a training on China? All of them agreed that their federal state should have more China expertise. So then the question becomes, how can we make sure that we get more China expertise into the cities and regions? Of course, one way could be to provide more trainings to them. We could also make sure that these administrative schools where officials and civil servants are educated and are trained, that they actually have in their curriculum a topic of how to deal with foreign states and foreign influence operations. The China Knowledge Network from the Netherlands, I think, would be a great example to support local and regional governments in their dealings with China. And one other thing that we could do is, for example, set up a handbook, you know, create a handbook with best practice and uh, a kind of guide on how to deal with specific Chinese requests. So, for example, if a Chinese delegation wants to visit a certain company, in your region, in your city, how should you deal with that? This was one of the cases that came up several times in my discussions with regional and city officials, that there are a lot of Chinese actors that want to visit a lot of European companies, and they come and they visit. And oftentimes, they do unfortunately take pictures and photograph industrial production processes. And of course, this also brings with it a certain risk of industrial espionage. And, you know, not every city official knows how to deal with such a situation. You don't want to be impolite to your Chinese partner. You want to make sure that there's good relations. So maybe you don't want to say anything. But if you provide them with a handbook where they say, okay, in this case, you should, you know, say A, B, C, or you should deal with the situation in such a manner, that I think could be really helpful to them. Roderick, I have a feeling we just touched upon the surface of a very important topic that will keep us here at Merrick's busy in the months to come. And there's certainly a lot of more discussions to be had also with other European actors in that area. But for now, thank you very much for your insights, Roderick. And dear listeners, you can learn more about the results of our research in the study we have just published on our website. It's called Big Fish in Small Ponds, China Subnational Diplomacy in Europe. And if you enjoyed this podcast, we would appreciate a recommendation or a rating on the well-known podcast channels. My name is Claudia Wessling, and I wish you all the best and have a good day. You have been listening to Merrick's Experts, the podcast from the Makato Institute for China Studies in Berlin. If you want to learn more about our work, please visit us at merricks.org.